You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. So here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. Um, And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. So today's Bible reading will be taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. So I'll be reading from the CSB version, and uh, we'd encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles, but the passage will also be displayed on the screen. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, Because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. But there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles chose to do. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. The end of all things is near. Therefore, Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. Let it If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Hi everyone, why not keep your Bibles open as we hear from God's Word today. Now as we get started today, I want you to imagine with me for a moment a squadron of soldiers fighting an unjust war for an unjust cause, fighting for what is wrong. But they've now turned their allegiances. They've realized the corruptness of their ways, and they're now fighting for what is right. And the consequences for their actions? They're now being attacked and assaulted by the army they used to be part of. They're now under constant threat and danger. And what's their only hope? Reinforcements to arrive. If only they would come soon. Now Peter wants to show us that actually the situation for his original audience, it isn't all that different. These Christians, they used to live in darkness, living for what is wrong. But they've now turned their allegiances to live in the light, to live for what is right. And the consequences for these actions? 
they now live under persecution and pressure, slander and shame. Isn't this the situation we all live in now? How much longer? How much time until God returns? If only he'll return soon. But until he does, how should we live? In order to answer this question, Peter shows us two ends in this passage. The end of sin and the end of time. And the time between these two ends, look at verse 2. Peter calls this the remaining time. And it's in this remaining time that Peter's original audience is living in. And it's in this remaining time that we are now living in as well. A time where Christians have experienced the end of sin and now await the end of time. So how should we live in this remaining time in light of these two ends? Peter answers in verse 2. Live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. End one. The end of sin. Christians have experienced the end of sin, so they don't live for sin anymore. But not living for sin, this is something that's so hard, isn't it? It would have been especially so for these Christian exiles. It's because they don't live for sin anymore. It's because they're doing good. That's why they're suffering. And what would have been the temptation for them? To step back into sin. To put an end to all the slander and shame. Isn't this all too familiar? We get invited by our friends to engage in behavior that we know is wrong. We get pressured by our colleagues to compromise on our convictions. And what's the temptation? To step back into sin. But what are we to do? Well, Peter, Peter wants us to stand firm. Peter doesn't want us to step back. He wants us to arm ourselves with the same understanding as Christ. Last week in verse 18, we saw that Christ also suffered for sins once for all, and he was put to death in the flesh. And today, Peter is telling us that because Christ suffered, we are to do the same. Look at verse 1 with me. Arm yourselves also with the same understanding. Like soldiers preparing themselves for battle, we are to prepare ourselves to suffer, to not live for sin anymore, but instead, arm ourselves to suffer. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, why though? Why do Christians have to suffer? Christians suffer because they're finished with sin. Now, Peter isn't saying that we don't sin at all anymore. No, what he's saying is, when Christians are prepared, when we are prepared to suffer for doing good, This is evidence that we've broken away from our life of sin. We aren't living for sin anymore. We're finished with sin. We've experienced the end of sin. So we don't live for sin anymore. But before they experienced the end of sin, these Christian exiles used to live in it. Notice in verse 2, Peter says, to no longer live for human desires. This implies that Once upon a time, they used to. In fact, look with me at verse 3. They used to spend time carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, 
drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. This is the sort of first century entertainment these Christians would have participated in, indulging in crude, sensual theatre, spectating violent, bloody gladiatorial fights. This is who these Christian exiles used to be. Unrestrained, evil, lawless idolaters who lived for sin. I wonder whether you can relate with this. Perhaps you didn't grow up in a Christian family and you know all too well the life that you used to live before Christ. A life ignorant of the knowledge of God, empty in desire towards God, dark in disobedience against God. Or perhaps you did grow up in a Christian family, but you always knew that you never quite lived up to God's will. One person on Sundays at church and a completely different person every other day of the week. This used to be me. Living for my own desires. I lived for sin. But Peter says, no more. There's already been enough time doing that. Don't waste your life indulging in sexual immorality and drunkenness. Don't live for your petty idols of success and money or relationships and sex. Stop carrying on in these things. What a waste of a life. What a waste of time. Don't step back into that life of sin. You've experienced the end of sin, so don't live for sin anymore. And when these Christian exiles stopped living for sin, what happened to them? Well, those around them were surprised. Look at verse 4. They were surprised that they didn't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slandered them. And you've heard it before too, haven't you? That Christian, she's really weird, isn't she? Why does she live like that? Or, that Christian, I don't understand, he used to hang out with us all the time. Why doesn't he join in anymore? You see, as Christians, we claim that Jesus is the only way. And because of that, we can often be described as intolerant and narrow-minded. As Christians, we don't accept all forms of sexual expression. And because of that, we're often described as bigoted and regressive. As Christians, we're often viewed as dangerous and harmful to society. But even back then, for these original audience, Christianity was as politically incorrect as you could get. Christians, they refused to worship other gods, and this was believed to bring wrath and disaster upon society. The Christian sexual ethic, it was routinely mocked and scorned as it turned social norms upside down. These Christians, they were slandered, they were shamed. They were also viewed as dangerous and harmful to society. It happened to them as well. But this is what Peter says to them. 
all those who were surprised at them, all those who slandered them, they'll one day answer to God. Look with me at verse 5. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. God is going to judge everyone. So although these Christian exiles were slandered and shamed by the world, they'll be honored and vindicated by God. Now, if you're someone who's not a Christian, this is what God wants you to know. There are two things that are inevitable for everyone. God's judgment and our limited time. Firstly, let's look at God's judgment. Now, can I just say this is something that's really hard to talk about. Why would God judge? Isn't he supposed to be all loving? Isn't he supposed to be all forgiving? Isn't he supposed to be loving and not judge? Well, the truth is, he is loving. And it's because God is so loving, that's why he can't turn a blind eye to what's wrong. That's actually why he needs to judge. And this judgment from God, it's not uncontrolled rage. No, this judgment will be impartial and perfectly just. It will be measured, good, holy, and lawful. And when God judges on that day, how will you stand on that day? I know how I would have. Before the end of sin, I lived for my own desires and not God's. I lived for sin. And if I continued on that path, and if I gave an account to God, I would have fallen on the wrong side of His justice. But it doesn't have to be this way. Look at verse 18 with me from last week. Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. That is, Jesus Christ, he suffered for you and for me. Why? So that he might bring you to God. So that he might bring you and I, undeserving people, back to him. And secondly, our limited time. The truth is, just as God's judgment is inevitable for all of us, so is death. Back in the first century, some dismiss Christianity by pointing out that Christians also die, just like everyone else. So what good is Christianity then? But this is what Peter tells us. While judgment encapsulates everyone, the living and the dead, so does the gospel. Look at verse 6. The gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. These are people who have died, but were once judged by the world. That is, these are Christians who heard the gospel, who heeded the gospel, and who have since died. And although they were judged by the world, they lived for God. How were they able to do this? Because they also knew that one day they'll be honored and vindicated by God. John Calvin puts it like this. Even death does not hinder Christ from
from being always our defender. It is then a remarkable consolation to the godly that death itself brings no loss to their salvation. Will you turn to Christ to be your defender? Turn to him. Trust in him. Give your allegiance to him. He'll take the judgment that you deserve. And instead of living for yourself, he'll give you something so much better to live for. And for you, Christian, even though you face persecution and pressure, slander and shame now, don't step back into sin. No, stand firm. For there is no need to fear the world. There is no need to fear even death. For Jesus Christ, your defender, who has resurrected from the dead, will one day resurrect you. And God's perfect holy justice, measured, good, and holy, will one day vindicate you. You're finished with sin. So live no longer for human desires. You've experienced the end of sin. So don't live for sin anymore. End one, the end of sin. End two, the end of time. The end of all things is near, so live for God's will. The end of all things is near. Now, I wonder what you think of when you hear that. Maybe a crazy person with a big billboard, ringing a loud bell, yelling, the end is nigh. But that's not what Peter's doing here. These aren't words of judgment. These are words of comfort for these Christian exiles. They've been facing persecution and pressure, slander and shame for who knows how long. And it would have been so hard for them to continue standing firm. It would have been so much easier for them to just step back and run back into sin. The end. It's so far away. God's just vindication. So far away. How can they possibly persevere until then? And like our squadron of soldiers, eagerly longing for reinforcements, longing to be liberated, these Christian exiles would have longed for God's return. Dear Christian, do you long for this day? Do you live for this day? Dear Christian, do you live for the end of time? If we're to be honest, most of us don't think about the end. There's still so much time and there's still so much to do. Career ladders to climb, relationships to pursue, life to be enjoyed. Most of us don't live like the end is near. But I wonder how different our lives would look if we did. If you knew that tomorrow was the end. The heavens were to be torn open and Jesus were to return tomorrow. Would anything about your life change? Well, it shouldn't. Nothing should change. Because as Christians, we should already be living for the end of time. We should already be living as though the end is near. Because it is. 
The end of all things is near. So live for God's will. But how? Peter wants to show us three ways to live for God's will. Pray watchfully, love constantly, and serve sacrificially. And as we look at these three ways, I want you to remember our squadron of soldiers who've turned their allegiances and are now fighting for what is right, under constant threat and danger, longing for reinforcements to liberate them. Let's see how to live for the end of time. Firstly, pray watchfully. Look at verse 7 with me. Be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Pray? The end is near, so pray? But that seems so impractical, doesn't it? But dear Christian, very soon, God will be bringing all things to an end. Very soon, God will be bringing all time to an end. Should this not more than anything else cause us to depend on Him in prayer? Should this not more than anything else motivate us to stand guard in prayer? As we keep watch for God, our vindication to arrive, pray. Pray watchfully. Secondly, love constantly. Look at verse 8. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Why though? Why above all maintain constant love? Yes, it's because we're to love the brothers and sisters, but also it's because as Christians, we'll sin against each other. And because we will sin against each other, we'll need to forgive one another. Soldiers don't fight their own comrades in the middle of battle. Christians don't hold sin against one another. So forgive your brothers and sisters out of love, even when it's hard. And look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Love your fellow Christians, even if they're different from you, even when it's hard. Because every single Christian, every single Christian in this room is an exile in this world. We once weren't a people, but now we're God's people, together chosen by God. Together, a holy nation. Together, a people for its possession. So as we're behind enemy lines together with one another, be hospitable to one another, joyfully, not complaining. Love constantly. Thirdly, serve sacrificially. Look at verse 10 with me. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. All Christians, all of us, all of us has received a gift, so all of us should be serving. And these gifts, they're not ours. They haven't been given to us for us. No, they've been given to us for others, to serve others, to serve one another. You see, in wartime, different soldiers, they all have different roles, don't they? And they all need one another. And in these end times, different Christians, we've all got different gifts, don't we? And we all need one another. And what are these gifts? God's words 
and God's strength. Look at verse 11. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. And if anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides. God's words, these living and enduring words, speak them to one another. And God's strength, God's infinite and magnificent strength, serve from it. Serve sacrificially. And as you do that, speak God's words and serve from His strength. Why? Why live this way? Verse 11, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. God is the giver of all wisdom and strength. So as you speak His words, as you serve from His strength, glorify Him. Look back with me to verse 22 from last week. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers subject to Him. This one who is right now in heaven, this one who is right now at the right hand of God, this one who right now has angels, authorities and powers subject to Him, this one, this Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Let Him be glorified now and into eternity. Let Him be glorified before the end, at the end, and after the end of all things. Let Him be glorified forever and ever. Amen. Two ends. The end of sin and the end of time. And in between these two ends, the remaining time where we now live. How should we live in this remaining time in light of these ends? Peter's answer, don't live for sin, live for God's will. We've experienced the end of sin, so don't live for sin anymore. And the end of time is near, so live for God. Don't step back and live for sin. Stand firm and live for God. Let me pray. Dear God, we praise you because all glory, wisdom and strength belong to you. You've brought us, undeserving people, back to you through your son Jesus who suffered for our sins. We once weren't a people, but now we're your people. You've given us comfort that one day we'll be honoured and vindicated by you, that you'll judge one day with perfect, holy justice. Help us to not step back and live for sin. Help us to stand firm and live for you, to trust in your Son as our defender, to not fear the world, to not fear death, to live for the end of time, to live as though the end is near. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Let him be glorified forever and ever. Amen.